everyone, and welcome to the only Star Trek podcast in existence. I am Brandon, and Dan, what are we watching today? I believe Star Wars. That's close, but actually we're watching Star Trek, the original series. Obviously, that's Dan. Paul cannot be here again today because he's having those ongoing technical issues, and he might actually be the lucky one because we watched Season 1, Episode 6, Mud's Women, original air date. October 13th, 1966, and this episode opens with the Enterprise cruising through open space, and it's not orbiting a planet for, I want to say that's like the first time in this series that it's not opening or orbiting a planet on the opening. I believe you're right. Uh, We do open with a captain's log, and uh, Kirk says that the Enterprise is pursuing an unidentified vessel. On the bridge, Sulu informs Kirk that the vessel is in the center of their screen, and that it's trying to run from them. And is Kirk blind that he couldn't see that in the middle of the screen? Like, does he really have to be told, like, hey, that thing's right there in the middle of your TV? <laughs> they they got to make sure he knows. Yeah, like, what else is he going to be looking at if they're pursuing a vessel? Like, he's off playing, like, Wordle or something? He he might have been drinking with uh, the doctor uh, beforehand. Yeah, he's, he's like, I yeah, I see in the center of the screen. And also, there's one a little to the left, and there's a little one a little on the right. I mean, in fairness, that ship is... Bouncing back and forth. Yeah. So Kirk asks Spock uh, if it's an Earth ship. And Spock's like, I mean, I don't know. It's got, you know, it's beaming registration is off, which I assume is, is kind of like a license plate, but it, that it just kind of beams out that like, you know, ships like the Enterprise can read that and, you know, see who the ship belongs to. Uh, otherwise, like, why, why would Spock know that? Like, of all people. Farrell is the other helmsman. And uh, he says that the ship is... Uh, pushing its engines really hard. Um, and Uhura says that, you know, she's tried all frequencies, but the the ship is refusing to answer. So Spock warns that they're entering an asteroid belt and Kirk orders Farrell to turn on the deflector shields. or I think he said the deflector array, something like that. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's a, a small class uh, J cargo ship and that its engines are superheating. So the little cargo ship starts to lose power and it's just kind of drifting through the asteroid belt. And, and Farrell says that, you know, hey, we could uh, shield this thing with a, the Enterprise's deflector screen. And Scotty tells him, you know, hey, that's going to overload overload our own engines and we don't really want to do that. But Kirk tells Farrell to go ahead and just do it anyway. Which isn't really a good idea when you're in an asteroid field. Yeah. Like, hey, this is the perfect time to risk uh, having our entire ship shut down when, you know, we've got huge rocks just you know, flying all around us. And the ship isn't responding to our uh, our transmission. Yeah. Yeah, obviously doesn't care, you know, that they're trying to stop it. So it's perfect. Go ahead and just, you know, shield the thing, risk your own crew, which is like the first of a few dumb mistakes that Kirk is going to make in this episode. But uh, he tells Scotty and Spock to go to the transporter room, you know, get ready. We're going to try to beam some people over. Uh, Sulu warns him that the engines are overloading and that they won't be able to protect their ship for too long. And so, you know, it kind of fades out. We get the show opening. Um, In the bridge, they uh, get a call that the engine room temperatures are passing the danger line, which I imagine is just like a big gauge that just says danger on it. And like there's just a little needle that just goes past it. The bridge power actually goes out and then it comes back for a second and Sulu is like, hey, you know, we just blew one of our lithium crystal circuits. And Kirk calls the transporter room, tells him to beam the cargo vessel crew over. Uh, Scotty's like, hey, you know, they're not answering our our signal, so we can't really lock onto them right now. And then the bridge power goes out again. So Uhura says that she's getting a distress signal from the ship and Kirk tells Scotty, lock onto those guys and and let's, let's beam them on. So they beam over uh, a pretty big dude who is he's wearing like these oversized blue pants and like the the world's biggest belt and belt buckle. And the belt buckle is not even anything, anything fancy. It's not like Texas rodeo big. It's just like unnecessarily huge. And he has this like really weird fancy orange shirt. You know, when I when I first saw this guy, I'm like, this guy is a nerf herder. <laughs> he's a scruffy looking nerf herder. <laughs> yeah, but he's got, he's got like some like a cowboy hat with a one side bent up and a curly mustache. He kind of kind of looks like a like a cheesy pirate almost. Yeah, exactly. I was like, is this the casual fashion of this era, or is this dude like a legitimate space pirate? Like, is that what space pirates look like? Because like that weird like fluffy kind of frilly shirt 
and the the hat and the mustache. Like all he was missing was an eye patch, really, <laughs> and like maybe like a space parrot on his shoulder. The, the mustache really sold it. Yeah, all, all, all they I mean, needed to do is a really one. solid mustache. But. I'm disappointed he never uh, did like the troll, like burly, burly. Yeah, just like sit, just like you know, messing with it with his fingers as he like laughs maniacally. Yes. <laughs> But he uh, he steps out of the transporter and he uh, asks them in like this Irish accent uh, where he is. And Bones tells him, you know, you're on the Enterprise. So he introduces himself as uh, Captain Leo Walsh. And Spock asks him how many more people are in his crew. And he says that he's got three more people. But, you know, they weren't sure if the Enterprise was a friendly ship. So that's why they weren't, you know, answering the calls or anything. Back on the bridge, um, another circuit circuit blows. And... Sulu says that they are now running on battery power. So Bones and Spock and Scotty try to beam aboard the last three crew members, but it's taking a little longer than they're expecting because they're using battery power. Which, like, what size batteries do you think the Enterprise takes? Is that is it like a D battery or like a C? I, I think uh, it's a couple double A batteries. Yeah, just a few double A's. Just open it like they take it to port and they just pop open the bottom of it and just kind of cram them in there. Uh, really big fans of the Energizer Bunny. Like, well, they keep going and going. Yeah, and the Enterprise does just keep going. Um, but meanwhile, an asteroid hits the little cargo ship and just absolutely obliterates it. Which I've learned. Um, I forget where I saw it, but the remastered edition that we're watching, I guess, did actually uh, add in CGI. So. The uh, original version, which I can't seem to find anywhere. It's not on any streaming services. They're all the remastered ones. But they all had models. They didn't do any CGI. And I really wish that I could see what that looked like. Because the CGI is good. It doesn't look current. But it doesn't look, you know, like, terrible. I just really wish I could see the the model version of, like, the Enterprise and this little ship getting destroyed by an asteroid. Yeah, I, I, I thought the remastered version looked pretty decent. And actually didn't even know that uh, they had went in and changed it. Yeah, I was curious to know what all they had remastered. And like I said, I forget where I saw it, but um, that's just one of those things that, yeah, they just changed the old models, which is kind of, kind of sad. But uh, so they managed to transport the last of the crew over and they're all women wearing, I think one's wearing like a red dress and one's wearing green. And what was the other one wearing? Uh, was it yellow, I think? Pink, I, I, I literally just watched the episode. Okay, I, I'm totally blanking on it. I literally just watched the episode, but I didn't really pay attention to what they were wearing. Immediately, uh, all of the men uh, in the transporter room seem fixated on them, and they don't hear Kirk just calling them over and over on the intercom. Uh, so finally, Scotty notices Kirk calling, and he answers him, and Kirk's like, hey, you know, if the the captain of that cargo ship can walk, then I want him in my cabin immediately. And he he's... Calls back and he's like, actually, you know what? I want him there whether he can walk or not. So, so even if he has a roll down the corridor, it's like, get him to my cabin. Which I, I I laughed. I thought it was a pretty great line. Yeah. uh, Kind of aggressive, too, for Kirk early on. Like, he just seems immediately annoyed. I guess he did just try to call them for like two minutes, though. And nobody answered. He's like, they're not respecting my sword tie. Yeah. Um, so Spock is kind of taking a look around here and notices that you know, the women have a strange effect on uh, McCoy. And he asks Leo if the three women are all the crew that he has. And Leo kind of starts to drop a hint about them not being crew. But Spock says that you know, he's like, hey, you can explain that to Captain Kirk. Which is weird. It, like if he's, you know, asking about that, you would think he would want the answer. But nope, just kind of shoves him off. So Leo and the women uh, walk through the corridor as the male crew members are all kind of like staring at them as they walk by and they enter the elevator with Spock and Leo mentions to Spock or he mentions like, hey, you know, you're a Vulcan and tells the women that, you know, they can save it, whatever, you know, it is because uh, Spock's type can turn himself off to any emotion. So I'm like, oh, you know, is this another one of those like, like kind of mind power things was what I was curious about. Right. Well, I thought it was interesting. He wasn't afraid to, you know, say that in front of him. Yeah, he's just immediately, like, super open in front of Spock, which he was just a second ago, like, kind of, you know, hinting at stuff and not really being, you know, out in the open about anything. And then they get in the elevator, and he's just like, oh, yeah, turn it off. You know, he it ain't affecting him. You Did know, you see the, 
Did you see the wild like door handles in the elevator that he was holding on? No, I missed it. I saw he was holding on to something. I just assumed it was like a rail. I didn't look down like what he was holding on to. It was a very weird rail. It wasn't going across. It was just like a like a lever almost. Oh, I'll have to go back and look at that. I like seeing like just the weird uh, design choices for stuff like that. Like in the future, there's no hand railing. There's just weird lever style things. So on the way out of the elevator, uh, one of the women stops to apologize to Spock and says that, you know, Leo's used to buying and selling people, but he just kind of like quickly ushers her out of the elevator and says that he's going to handle all the conversation. And they arrive at uh, Kirk's cabin and he asks Leo, you know, if the women are his crew and Leo's like, oh, no, you know, they're my they're my cargo. So then we get a commercial, which never sounds good. Yeah. Like, well, they're. They don't seem to be there against their will, at least. No. People as cargo. It's just never, weird to call, yeah. you know, passengers cargo. Yeah, he really needs to work on the optics of his business because it just it does look really bad. We come back from commercial and we have a captain's log, uh, star date 1329.1. And Kirk explains that the women seem to have some sort of strange magnetic effect on his male crew members, including himself, and that the explanation for that is currently unknown. So Leo starts talking to Kirk about how you know he didn't know he was being chased by a starship and that Kirk exceeded his authority and basically forced him to destroy his ship by, by chasing them into the asteroid field. Uh, Kirk says that you know he's going to convene a ship's hearing and tells Leo that Spock can provide him with any legal information that he may need for his defense. And Leo's like, "Man, you're you're pretty hard nosed." And Kirk just immediately comes out and's like, "Well, yeah, well, you're a liar." So, like, he just immediately does not like Leo and not like, I don't know if it's like a formal arrest, but he's like, yeah, we're going to have a, a, a little trial here because I don't like you at all. Yeah, I, I like how he's not afraid to call him out. Yeah, like he didn't, um, you know, no mincing words or anything. He's just like, yeah, you're a liar. Which, you know, Kirk, well, he's not wrong. He's like, you're 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 a scumbag. I can tell. Yeah, it's got to be the mustache. Like... If maybe if Leo didn't have that mustache, then Kirk would have thought a little better of him. Maybe it's a combination of the mustache and the hat. Maybe if he was missing one or the other, then Kirk would have thought he was a stand-up guy. I'm telling you, I think Kirk judged him right away. Like, oh, nerf herder. Yeah, huge belt, big mustache, weird hat. You're garbage. <laughs> so he calls security to confine Leo to his quarters, and on the bridge, uh, Farrell is telling Sulu that. He can feel the women's eyes grabbing him when they look at him. And Sulu's like, oh, oh, yeah, I notice. Uh, Scotty tells Spock that they have one lithium crystal left and it's got a hairline split at the base of it. So Spock wants to rig a bypass circuit. But Scotty says, well, you know, we can't do that because we blew the whole converter assembly. So Spock's like, all right, we're going to call Kirk up here and see if we can figure this out. So Leo enters his quarters and asks the guards that are inside to wait outside, but they're like, no, we can't do that. That'd be a really stupid thing to do. Uh, so Leo tells the women not to submit to a medical exam, but tries to frame it that they won't need one because they're too healthy. He's he's kind of, you know, talking loud enough that the guards can hear like, oh, you know, they don't need a medical exam. They're in perfect health. Yeah, like the guards wouldn't uh, go back and tell Kirk or whoever like, hey, uh, this dude's talking some weird things right now right and like like it's not immediately suspicious that he's trying to get them to leave but he does ask them again if they'll leave and the women start to talk about you know how something is different about them but he kind of cuts them off and one of them mentions that you know they don't have a ship and that they're headed the wrong way now and accidentally calls Leo by the name of Harry and then he's like oh you know Leo you know he corrects them with his his uh, current name. Yeah, not not suspicious at all. No, not at all. And the, I don't even think that the guards heard any of that. Like, they weren't that far away, but they didn't seem interested at all. They're just, like, mad that they got guard duty. So they're just kind of standing in there, like, not reacting to any of this like, in any way. Right, like, they're like, well, we're just going to stand here, and whatever conversation you talk about will be confidential. Yeah, like, that's all between you guys. But on the bridge, Spock and Scotty explain to Kirk that, you know, the Enterprise power is feeding through one lithium crystal. And, you know, Kirk says, well, why can't we bypass it? And Scotty's like, we already went through that because, you know, we burned out the ship 
trying to save Leo, and he says, uh, that jackass Walsh not only wrecked his own vessel, but in saving his skin, and Kirk cuts him off, and he's like, well, if it makes you feel any better, that's one jackass we're going to see skinned. <laughs> he's just, he really hates Leo already. Yeah, I don't think so far in any of the past episodes have we seen Kirk dislike someone so much. No, and like just so immediately for basically no reason at this point. Like he doesn't really know anything about him. He knows he's, he's transporting people, but he doesn't know why. Like obviously he has the intuition that something's up because of just, you know, the nature of the way that things happen with the ship hiding its uh, registration or whatever. But man, he just really hates him so far. Uh, Spock does say that their last crystal won't hold up. But there's a lithium mining operation on Rigel 12, and he's heard that it has high-grade ore and that they're less than two days away, which uh, Rigel 7 is actually where Pike's crew fought those people that had the swords and the shields. So are they going to be near that then? Because they're going to Rigel 12. And I guess near is like relative because, you know, those planets could be incredibly far apart. But Well, when you got warp speed, if you're in the area, how long, well, they can't do warp speed right now, I guess, but... In general, that should be a pretty easy jump for them. Right. But Kirk is like, all right, you know, we'll go ahead and we'll go to Rigel 12. And then we get a, a captain's log in without going to a commercial, which is weird. Stardate's 1329.2. And Kirk narrates that he's becoming concerned with the almost hypnotic effect caused by the women. So they're shown in a meeting room and they start conducting the hearing for Leo. Spock turns on a like lie detector machine and asks Leo his name. And he's like, my name is Leo Francis Walsh. And the computer is like, that's incorrect. Which was hilarious. Yeah, absolutely. Like <laughs> that thing is just like, now nah, that's wrong. Uh, so Spock asks for his real name and Leo tries to convince them that the computer is wrong. But Spock's like, we're not buying that. Just tell me your name. So he, uh, he says his name is Harry Mudd. And the computer again is like, no, that's not right. So he says his name is Harcourt Fenton Mud, and he's actually no longer talking with his Irish accent at this point. So he just kind of drops the whole thing. So you have to be very specific with this computer. Did you uh, say Hardcore Fenton Mud? No, uh, Harcourt Fenton Mud. Hardcourt. Yeah. So, sounds I mean, like it, a very bad wrestling name. Yeah, if his name was Hardcore Fenton Mud, I mean, that would be an even worse wrestling name. But we know that'd be like an Attitude Era thing. But if you name your kid hardcore, then you know they just got to get into some shit when they grow up. That, that, that's true. Well, that that might explain a lot of this guy. Yeah, but uh, hardcore. So uh, Spock asks him, you know, if you have any past offenses. And he's like, no. And that you know, he says he's simply an honest businessman. And the computer again, it's like, no, that's not correct. So they bring up a uh, full display of Mud's record, which he uh, was a smuggler. And had his sentence suspended. Yeah, he got in trouble for transporting stolen goods, for purchasing a space vessel with counterfeit currency. And he was sentenced to psychiatric treatment, but the effectiveness is being disputed. And I would, I'd say that it's obviously ineffective. I mean, just look at the way the guy's dressed. I mean, he should have been thrown in prison just for his clothes alone. Yeah, absolutely. That giant bell buckle is just so ridiculous. I mean, he... he, he, he he was making the big giant blue earring look good, though. Let's be honest. Yeah, he did have like the one uh, Potara earring, which you think somebody else out there is just holding on to the other one for the time that they need to fuse. I mean, he'd be unstoppable if he fused. Yeah, uh, hopefully that guy has like a huge beard, so they when they fuse, they get the mustache beard combination. I mean, I mean, if he were to do that, Kirk would be like, "Here, here's the ship." Yeah, absolutely, because his power would multiply when he fuses. Which I don't, I don't know what his power I is. I mean, at, at this point, at this point in, in the show, I'm wondering how he can resist the women's charm, unlike all the other men in Kirk. Yeah, nobody else seems to be able to do that. And he maybe it's because he's been around them forever or something. I, I wonder if it was like willpower, because Kirk, like, like you said earlier, Kirk admitted like all these women are having a strange effect on the crew. And he's like, it's even affecting me, but I think his drive or willpower is able to overcome their lore. Right. And not to go back to Dragon Ball here, but I mean, you know how Roshi trained uh, for the the big tournament was just by <laughs> looking at those magazines of naked women so that he wouldn't be distracted by them anymore. Like he built up a tolerance. So maybe that's what Mud did. Just spent all that time around him so it wouldn't work on him anymore. Are you telling me his master was Master Roshi? 
He's got a Patara, so he's definitely in that that. universe. I I just don't know if he could do a Kamehameha. Maybe he's like a Roshi failed student. Actually, his outfit kind of looks like something you would see in Dragon Ball as well. Off like a a crappy like villain henchman. Well, wasn't there the episode where um, there was a space pirates uh, abducting animals from the island? Yeah. In Super? Yeah. Maybe that was that guy. Yeah, he's part of that crew. So one of the women uh, is concerned that the machine can read their minds and Mud assures her that, no, it can't read your minds. It just tells me I'm a liar. And Kirk uh, charges Mud with galaxy travel without a flight plan, uh, without an identification beam, and failure to answer the starship signal, becoming a menace to navigation. And Mud is, he's like, you know, in this entire huge, you know, wide galaxy, like I'm a menace to navigation. And he's got a point there. It's like if you were to be charged, you know, with something similar uh, for throwing a paper airplane into the sky. Like you're that that little ship's not messing with anything in that huge open galaxy. Yeah, I actually had to agree with Smud on that one. Yeah. Uh, it it kind of seems like the the Federation or whatever is just trying to be very control controlling yeah. over the galaxy. Yeah, suddenly the Enterprise is like they're just space cops now. Which, what do you think, uh, breaking those laws, what do you think you get for that? Like a fine, uh, slap on the wrist? Well, he has priors, so he's probably gonna, I, like, do they detain people? Or do you think that they've found some some sort of, like, you know, working rehab in the future that isn't just prison? Well, didn't, didn't they put him in, like, a psychological ward? Like, wasn't he going under evaluation during his, or, uh, not his interview, but, uh, yeah, he, they. The yeah, his, his record said that he had a psychiatric evaluation, but that the uh, conclusion of it uh, was that the effectiveness of it was being disputed. So they're not sure that it did anything with him. So I don't. Well, maybe they have uh, like mining planets they got to stick you on. You just do like hard labor for a little while. Well, that kind of brings us to the planet they're going to because there's only, only this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but three men on there. Yeah, but they were there by choice. But uh, so Mud cuts him off and Kirk just continues anyway because nobody talks over Captain Kirk. And he says that Leo's also charged with the operation of a vessel without a master's license. And Mud interrupts him to say that he does have a master's ticket and the computer chimes in is like, that's incorrect. Uh, and his li- t- says that his license was revoked on Stardate uh, 1116.4. So Mud says that he, well, that Leo Walsh was his original captain of a ship, but he passed away suddenly. And so, you know, he wanted to continue the journey kind of like in memory of him. I will say, I hope they use the lie detector machine again at some point because very well done. Yeah. It's just very deadpan. Like that's incorrect. So Kirk uh, asks mud what his uh, destination and the purpose of his journey are. And he says that he's uh, going to planet uh Ophiuchus three and that he recruits wives for settlers. So Kirk asks for data on the women, but the computer doesn't have anything on them. And he asks for a sensor probe, uh, looking for any unusual readings, and the computer uh, can't find anything. So it does detect uh, high respiration patterns, high perspiration rates, uh, rapid heartbeats, and higher than normal blood pressure in the ship's male crew members, though. So so Kirk (laughs) turns to Spock, and he's like, have that stricken from the record. Which, I don't know if he should have done that. Yeah, I mean, why not just keep it all in there? I, You would think that that's, if he suspects something is going on, you would think that he would want that in the record, right? Just so, like as part of his official log. They're trying to figure out why the crew members are having these issues. So you wouldn't think that you would want to hide that for future information just in case someone comes across this again. Right, exactly. Uh, but Mud says that he has devoted his entire life to recruiting wives for settlers, and the computer again tells him that that's incorrect. And he's like, well, you know, starting now, I'm devoting my entire life to that, which is a good way to get around that machine, because it doesn't know if you're lying about that, because, you know, you got to wait and see. Yeah, the the machine didn't call him out on that one. Yeah. Uh, but Kirk asks if the women were there voluntarily, and he explains that, you know, where they came from... uh you know, they're all from planets that have no men other than like family and that they're eager to get to their new husbands and tells them, you know, hey, you're delaying, you know, them getting to where they're trying to go. And uh, 
you're staring at them like they're Saturnius harem girls. So I'm going to guess like like prostitutes from Saturn. <laughs> uh, well, actually, that was one of the uh, one of the women was explaining that. I guess that that wasn't mud. Uh, my notes a little messed up there, but yeah. So she's like, yeah, you know, you're staring at us like we're Saturnius harem girls. And then mud cuts her off and and Kirk says that, you know, the only charges are against mud. So we don't have anything, you know, against you guys right now. And Kirk asks uh, if he's got any defense. And he's like, well, you know, all I have is the truth. And so Kirk closes the hearing and says that uh, mud is to be handed over to the legal authorities at their earliest opportunity. Uh, But just then the power surges and Scotty says that their last crystal is gone. Sulu calls and says that the entire life support system is now on batteries and Kirk orders Spock to uh, contact the miners on Rigel 12 and let them know, you know, they're going to be needing some lithium crystals immediately when they get there. Uh, Mud seems pretty excited about, uh, I guess, not selling the women, but he is kind of selling them to the rich miners on the planet. And he's like, yeah, you know, you you guys are all going to be royalty and I'll be the new captain of the Enterprise. (laughs) It's just a really weird thing to like to think about because he I don't think it matters how much money he has you can't just buy one of those ships and be the captain of it right like that's a military vessel yeah like you could just approach the military and be like here's all my money I'm the captain now and they're like oh yeah that's fine he's like yeah I, I sold some women for some crystals and uh I'm gonna buy your ship with it yeah and they're just like oh that's fine uh you can have the enterprise and you can have Kirk serve under you maybe that's how Kirk got to be in charge Oh, the untold story about how he oversaw Captain Pike. Yeah, with just a shit ton of money. But we get a Captain's Log coming back from the commercial, Stardate 1330.1, and Kirk is just giving a recap of the situation. At this point, uh, one of the women, which is Ruth, which was wearing the green dress with, like, the dark hair, uh, she visits McCoy in the sick bay, and he, like, he's in there with another crewman and just kind of pushes the guy out so they can have some alone time. And she comes up. Yeah, he got kind of aggressive about it. Yeah, he's like, get the hell out of here, dude. Like, stuff's about to happen. She approaches him and kind of flirts with him a little bit. And she ends up standing near this panel, which starts making a really weird beeping noise. And she steps away from it. And, well, first he notices. And he's like, that's weird. That's not supposed to be doing that. Uh, So she approaches Bones and is kind of, you know, hanging on the shoulder and, you know, just getting real close to him. He asks her to go back to the medical panel for a scan, and you know, he's like, you know, that thing's not doing whatever it's supposed to be doing, so I need you to go back over there. And she just kind of hangs out and is like running her finger all around his chest and asks him if he's going to examine the miners on Rigel 12, and he says that they're all in excellent health, and so whatever, that's fine with her. And she goes to leave, and then uh, he asks her if she's wearing any kind of like perfume or something radioactive, and she's like, nope, that's I'm just me. Like, why would you be wearing something radioactive? It's like like a normal thing in the in the future, like just radioactive jewelry or something. Uh, maybe she's part of the Godzilla clan. Oh, that could be. She does have on the green, very clearly. Which, a big you fan. know, they're they're in a scene where he's trying to get her to go back over by the equipment. I actually liked how it showed his curiosity overcame her seductiveness yeah he uh just for that brief moment was kind of taken out of that he's he's immediately just like hey something's uh not right here so he he didn't lose all logic at that point yeah just for a minute but elsewhere uh kirk enters his quarters to find that one of the other women eve is in his bed and so she says that all of the men in the crew were looking at her so she needed a place to just kind of get away like some someplace private you know the the captain's bedroom yeah, I mean, where else would you go? You want a little privacy on a ship that big. I mean, why not just go straight to the captain's bed? That's where, I mean, that's where I'd go. I mean, also, it, you would imagine that's a pretty big ship. How did she know where the captain's room was? Right, and why was his door not locked? Oh, that's a good point. Like, there's just, maybe he doesn't keep anything in there, so he's he's like, oh, I'm just going to keep it unlocked. But I, you would think that that would be locked so that he doesn't, you know, step in and find some strange person in his bed. Well, I'm sure he's used to strange women in his bed, but probably not quite like that. Uh, He does say he's going to talk to his crew about them, you know, staring at the women. And she's like, well, you know, I certainly understand that they're probably just lonely. And, you know, it must be really lonely being a captain of this ship. And he just kind of ignores it and says that it's probably, you know, it probably appears more difficult than it is. So then she pulls in Kirk and tries to give him a big old kiss, but he backs off of it. 
And she goes to leave and, you know, she turns around real dramatic and says that, you know, she she's kind of distraught and says she can't do what, you know, Harry Mudd says that she should do and that she does like uh, Captain Kirk, but that she can't go through with Mudd's plans and, you know, she hates the entire situation and then she just leaves. So, like, she hints that, you know, something's going on, but doesn't exactly say what. Back in Mud's quarters, uh, Eve and Magda are telling Mud everything that they learned about the miners. And he's telling them that the lithium crystals are worth 300 times their weight in diamonds and thousands of times their weight in gold. Which had me wondering, like, what is, uh, what is the currency, like, the base of currency now? Because I would assume that they have basically free access to all of these planets and there's probably a ton of mining operations. So like there would be so many diamonds and so much gold and so many, like so much of everything else flooding the market that they would, would basically lose their value. Right. I, yeah, I would think so. Uh, I, I believe uh, for instance, just in our, our solar system, they've discovered like an asteroid that's worth like 10 quadrillion dollars worth of raw material. And if you can mine that freely and you find, you know, a lot of those out there, then that's just going to drive down the the value of those. So, like, that just makes me wonder what their currency is based on then. They have to have found some rare resource somewhere, you know, something that they, they can't get all the time that has to be the basis for their currency, right? Yeah, we, we don't know how they get paid. That's uh, That'd be interesting if they show that later on. Uh how a uh, currency works in the future because you know if, uh, that's a pretty that's a pretty bold claim that this lithium is way more valuable than diamonds way more valuable than gold right and that you know the uh crystal is worth you know 300 times their weight in diamond and thousands of times worth its weight in gold so i wonder in this universe if lithium is just very hard to find or a rare in occurrence Right, or at least this lithium crystal. Yeah, it might be something worth uh, looking up or looking into eventually. Uh, but the women mention how they won't be able to get to the planet, you know, because of their current situation. And, you know, Mud's still going to be trapped in the ship. And he says that he just needs them to do one more job, and then Kirk will be the one that's trapped. So Eve enters Mud's quarters with everyone else and says that, you know, she doesn't like Mud. She's like, hey, I don't I don't like you, and I don't feel good about what I'm doing. And she says that uh, she doesn't feel very good at all and that it must be near the time. And I was like, oh, man, like, is she about to turn into some kind of, like, monster or something? Like, I, I mean, there's a very obvious the time joke there that I'm not going to go for, but I thought maybe <laughs> she was going to, like, turn into, some, like, she's really some kind of alien or something, and, like, she was going to change back into that. That's kind of what I was waiting for also. Yeah, that's low-hanging fruit. You know what? This is a highbrow show. We don't go for those jokes here. We just make mention of them. That's right. But on the bridge, uh, Kirk is berating his crew for not paying attention when he gives an order. And he's like, you know, don't make me have to say it again. Like, if I got to say this, you know, more than once, you guys are getting a timeout. Which is really weird because the effect on the crew... Is seems to be lasting for quite some time. Yeah, and also he's aware of what's going on. Like he knows that there's something like that happening, but he's still just kind of being uh, super strict to his crew about it. Like he he's already said he's not immune to whatever's going on. You know, I I I think I can equate it to like the women's effect on the brain, like reverts their minds back to being like a teenager where you just can't focus. Yeah, and you know. You know, Kirk, you know, like, hey, I got to be dad now. Yeah, he's got to be Papa Kirk. Like, hey, we're, it's we're just flying really... through the galaxy. I need you guys full attention here. Yeah, it was just really weird to see him berating them like that because he hasn't done anything close to that in any of the other episodes. Like, he's he's almost like a different uh, character in this episode. Very angry in this episode. Yeah. Or not angry, but aggressive. Yeah, he's just, yeah, he's very aggressive and he's very straightforward. Uh, but he tells Scotty to keep the ship going long enough to get uh, six crystals. And Scotty's like, yep, I got this. No problem. So he asks McCoy if he has examined Eve. And McCoy says that she's refused, so he wasn't able to do that. And Kirk wonders if their effect is from the crew being tired and, you know, a combination of just them being tired and the beautiful women that they're around. So McCoy asks him, you know, 
he's like, well, you know, are the really are the women really more lovely pound for pound and measurement for measurement than any woman you've ever known? Which is a fair point. Yeah, he's like, is is are they really like the greatest thing you've ever seen? And uh, they start to wonder if the women are some sort of alien illusion, but they can't really seem to like gather their thoughts and you know put anything together on this. You know, what's kind of interesting at this point in the episode that uh, Spock's not really elaborating too much about what's going on yeah he really seems to be keeping to himself like it's they made a point to show that he's paying attention to everything but he's really like you said he's he's just not elaborating and he would be the best person to actually tackle this issue seeing that the women have no effect on him anyway yeah his role so far has been very minimal given that fact that the the most logical person on the ship is having the smallest role yeah, it's really weird. I, I thought that too right about this point. I thought that Spock was going to be like the guy for this episode. But elsewhere, uh, Eve and Mud are shown using a communicator to contact the miners on Rigel 12. And it was like a super short scene and really nothing uh, like nothing more than that. It was, it was really weird. So back on the bridge, uh, Farrell informs Kirk that they'll be able to orbit Rigel 12. And Spock says that they can maintain that orbit for like three days and seven hours. So Kirk orders Uhura to contact the miners and beam up a representative. Uh, in Mud's quarters, uh, he's rifling through some drawers, uh, seems to be looking for something. And the women appear to have significantly aged. And Magna Magda wants him to give him some pills. And Eve's like, oh, you know, he's never going to find them. And if he does, you know, the pills are a cheat. And she starts to say something about how if you really care for somebody, but uh, Mud cuts her off and says that Kirk is already married to the vessel and that, you know, she'll find out the first time she gets between him and the ship. So she seems to be like, you know, kind of falling for Kirk a little bit. Which on his point, it's a very good observation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they have kind of established that in previous episodes as well. Like, you know, when he had the the whole virus thing and he was talking about, you know, how he's got this relationship with the... uh, the Enterprise and all of that. So it's, yeah, they've definitely established that. And, you know, this guy seems to understand that already. I mean, he is the captain, well, was the captain of a ship, I guess. So he, he, he probably understands uh, the love of commanding a ship. Right. So Harry finds the pills uh, hidden in the mattress and Ruth and Magna uh, both take theirs. And he hands them to Eve, uh, telling her that the pills are not a cheat and that they're a miracle. And so she takes one from his little uh, metal container. And the pill looks like this weird like rock and it's like glowing red with electricity in it. Which I, I don't, who took that first? Like who made that thing and then decided that was okay to eat? I, I believe someone that was probably drunk one night and thought it was, you know, maybe like some nuts or something that had fallen onto the ground that they're eating. Like, oh, hey. Yeah, just check out this like red electric food. Uh, so... Elsewhere, Spock is commenting on how uh, even burned and cracked the lithium crystals are still beautiful and how destroying them was uh, a shame. And Kirk reminds him that, you know, it was either the crystal or the ship. And he obviously chose the ship. If not, it would have been a very short episode. If they just, they just float, I'm giving up. Like, they run out of power, just float away, and they're like, the end. Uh, so a crew member opens the door to announce that uh, two of the miners have beamed in and the miners enter the room and Kirk introduces himself and Spock and uh, the head miner uh, Ben wastes absolutely no time telling him that they have the lithium crystals that the Enterprise needs. So Kirk offers to buy them at a fair price and the miner says that they are not for sale but that he would accept a, a barter or a swap. And he says that he wants uh, Mud's women for the crystals and that they want Harry Mud released and his charges to be dropped. And Kirk just laughs it off. And he, the miner's like, you know, hey, you don't really have a choice. Uh, if, if you beam a landing party down, you're not going to find anything. And Kirk is just like, hey, no deal. And so he says that they're a long way out in space and that they'll need medical help and cargo runs and starship protection eventually. And, you know, they need to take that into consideration. And at this point, uh, Spock kind of looks over at him like, damn, dude, like you're being vicious. I, I kind of like, though, honestly, because he's like, I'm not going to let you bully me around. Yeah, absolutely. He made it very clear that, you know, he's the one setting the terms. <laughs> like, it's so messed up because he's like, look, like you're a long way out here, guy. 
<laughs> like just kind of a you know like a veiled threat. He's like, I, mean, he's I can not make wrong. it where you don't get some supply. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was just, it, it was absolutely ridiculous that spot, that look that Spock gave him. Like he tilts his head and just kind of looks at him in disbelief. Like, who the hell is this dude? Like, where is this Captain Kirk been? He's like, man, I must be rubbing off on him finally. Yeah. Uh, so at this point, Harry Mudd enters the room with his uh, his ladies and they just kind of like start hanging all over the the miners. And there's, I'm I'm not going to, you know what? I'm just going to say it. It's he's kind of just like walks in like uh, the Godfather and his hose. Like I was just thinking that. <laughs> well, like, I'm, I'm like, can I can I say hose? Because like, yeah, they're. I mean, I'm not calling the women that, but that's what they were called. You know, in in the Attitude Era, it was the Godfather and his hose. Because you know, yeah, the pimp. That's true. But that's kind of what's going on here. Well, like, they, didn't, I just, they didn't mind. Let's be honest, they didn't mind. Yeah, I just want to. I want to take like the clip of him just like strolling through the ship you know, entering all these rooms and just put the Godfather's music over it. Oh, man. If they would have gave him a cane on top of it, (laughs) it would have been perfect. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Uh, But Kirk says, you know, hey, still no deal. And then the ship's uh, lights suddenly dim, and Spock says that the ship is at half power and that they're conserving batteries. So Mud tells Kirk that, you know, they've only got three days worth of power and that he's going to have to make the deal sooner or later. And we go to a commercial from there. So we come back with a shot of a few buildings on a planet while Kirk narrates uh, his captain's log. And they're transporting down to the planet to get the lithium crystals, but they expect further difficulty from the miners. Kirk and Spock and Mud beam down to this like kind of desert planet with a very windy surface. And they enter one of the buildings where the women and the miners are already in there having like a little party. So Kirk approaches uh, Ben Childress and says that, you know, hey, you got me. We're going to need uh, those crystals and you can get your part of the deal. And Ben's like, well, you know, I'll get them when I have the time and just kind of walks away chuckling to himself. Which is like, do you really want to mess with a starship captain like that? Like, Even though his uh, his ship, you know, is in not uh, good shape, but they could still beam down there with that entire crew and just make that guy's life a living hell. That or Kirk goes back up to the ship and he uh, calls his superiors and tells them what's going on. Right, yeah. Like, there's nothing to stop him from calling uh, Starfleet or, you know, the Federation or whatever and just being like, hey, you know, we basically ran out of gas and this guy won't give us any and he's being a jerk. Can you come help us? Um, But I guess, you know, is it really – would it really be his uh, – I mean, is there any wrong with the guy not willing to sell the crystals? Like, is he doing... That's nothing illegal, right? He doesn't have to sell his goods. Mm, that's true, unless unless it's some kind of weird law where wherever humans are at in the solar system that they're under federal federation laws. So, I, I, that'd be, I don't know how that would work. Yeah, and that's the, the funny thing, you know, too. Kirk, Kirk can't... They can't go down there and be like, hey, you have to do this because that'd be kind of a authoritarian, you know type of system right but isn't it crazy that like they're spread so far apart in the galaxy and like man is on all these different crazy planets and when they finally run into one another like one side is still just a total asshole like i guess no amount of like knowledge and space travel will ever get rid of that well that that and you know they said these guys were on the planet for what three years by themselves so you would think they'd be excited to see uh different people at this point right somebody that's not like the other two guys maybe he was, was right. excited and that's how he shows it is just by being an asshole he's like i forgot how to interact with human beings so i'm gonna be a dick yeah but kirk tries again to make the deal and, and ben's like oh you know i'm busy and spock tells him you know hey we don't have time for this and kirk kind of snaps at him and he's like well do you have a better idea and so spock does not have a better idea apparently for once which is really weird for him so Ben and Eve are just looking out a window and, you know, he tells her about, you know, the wind blowing all around and yeah, it's like that all the time and that you can get lost a dozen feet from your doorstep if the wind comes up suddenly. Because, you know, it's just blowing, you know, particles, sand, dust and all that stuff around all the time. Well, you know who didn't go to that planet, don't you? Anakin Skywalker. You know how he feels about sand. <laughs> but he loves sand, doesn't he? It's his favorite thing. Oh, it's- he hates sand people. My bad. Yeah, it's soft, it feels good, and it doesn't get anywhere. No, never. 
But uh, suddenly there's a crackling sound, and Ben says that it's a magnetic storm, and the wind is really going to start to rip up pretty soon. Which, I mean, I guess, you know, if the wind's always blowing sand around like that, then it's going to create a lot of static from friction, right? Yeah, I, I believe uh, static discharge would be a big problem with uh, the sand constantly blowing like that. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that uh, they theorize on uh, the moon Titan, is that uh they have a similar problem to this where it's just always super not maybe not always super windy but you know the loose particles create a lot of friction and it does create these insane uh magnetic storms so or electromagnetic storms so uh while all this is going on the women are dancing with the miners and and miners as in people that mine not children uh, and Ben asks Eve if she'd like to dance, but she refuses and starts to cough. And she's like, oh, you know, it's just a little, little dusty in here. And I noticed during this scene when everybody is like dancing and having fun that Kirk and Spock are just standing off to the side. Like they're at a party or like a high school dance, but nobody wants to dance with them. And they're just kind of hanging out with each other. Like they don't know anybody, which I mean, they guess they don't, but it's still a ridiculous image. Like they're just, they're just kind of wallflowering over like, there. Like, man, the I just want my crystal so I can go. Yeah, they're crystals or they want somebody to dance with them. It's, you, I guess they'd probably take either one. So Ben gets pretty pissed off and he uh, goes and cuts in on one of the other miners that's dancing with Roof. Uh, so that miner gets mad and he cuts in on the other guy that's dancing with Magda. So, of course, that dude gets mad and then they start to fight. Uh, but while they're fighting, Eve uses this time to make a break for the door and she stops and like sarcastically is like, oh, you know, why don't you run a raffle? The loser will get me, which I, they're, they're not really like, I don't know where, where she was going with that. It was just a really weird thing to say on her way out. Cause, well, like, I, I think she felt like chopped liver. Yeah, but it's not like, like they were fighting to be rid of her. Like she's the one that just refused to dance with a guy and like will not be part of yeah, the Yeah, the guys are like, oh, and, hey, she must be a bitch. So let's just ignore her. Yeah, and then she like gets mad about it. Like, well, nobody wants to dance with me. Like, well, he literally just asked you. Yeah, I mean, that's so, a fair point. Like, just, she turned him like, down. It, it felt out of place. So she runs outside, and Kirk chases after her, and one of the miners is like, hey, you know, if you go outside, you know, that storm's going to kill you. And Kirk is like, well, you just have the crystals ready when I get back. So outside, uh, Eve's kind of battling the wind, and she's making much headway. And Kirk tries to follow her, and he's calling out for her. But, uh... He can't, you know, he can't catch up to her. And then Ben follows them out into the storm as well. And that's when I noticed that the dust particles or whatever it's supposed to be, it looks like fake snow. Like, it just looks like it's fake snowing out there. So we cut to the Enterprise, and it's uh, orbiting Rigel 12. And Kirk is narrating another captain's log, says that they have transported to the Enterprise to implement a search using infrared scanners and their sensing system. But the magnetic storm is cutting down the efficiency of their equipment. And they've also been searching for three hours and 18 minutes and have not found anything. Which is always like, I, I enjoy that they, I think this is the second time that they've done this. The first one was when they were against the salt vampire and they had lost them like on the in the desert somewhere. And they just are like, screw it. You know, we have this super, uh, you know, technologically advanced stuff on the ship. We might as well just go up there and put it to use. I, I enjoy that the writers don't forget about that because that is the logical thing to do. Like you can scan an entire planet. Why would you keep walking around on foot in a right. sandstorm? Uh, so Spock says that the storm is making it difficult for them to probe the area. And then Scotty warns that they're draining the ship's batteries pretty quickly and that they need to go back and get the crystals. But Kirk snaps at him about, you know, he's like, well, you know, I didn't find a way to get them. Like I screwed up. So he's still just like super mad. Uh, but Ahura says that the magnetic storm is getting worse and that they're losing communications with the miners and that she has seen no sign of Ben or Eve. And then uh, Kirk apologizes to Scotty for snapping at him, which is nice. Like he he's shown he's pretty quick to realize when he's made a mistake and he's he's equally as fast to apologize because you know, he did that once with Ahura as well when uh, Riley was singing on the ship. So Scotty says that they've got about five hours worth of power left. And we go back to the planet where Ben is making his way into a building carrying an unconscious Eve. And he lays her on a bench and then he goes down to another bench and he lays down to go to sleep. We cut back to the ship. There's another captain's log that says that they've used all but 43 minutes of the ship's power. And the ship is in critical condition after searching for 7 hours and 31 minutes. And the magnetic storms are starting to let up. 
And like, what an absolutely terrible call to use all but less than 45 minutes of your ship's power to search for this chick. Like, I feel like they could have made a better deal with the miners after that. Like, you know, maybe have the rest of the Federation or like somebody else from the Federation come in with, you know, some money or whatever else they want. Like, I feel like Eve is not worth putting his entire crew in danger of, you know, potentially dying. Uh, what I assume would be a horribly slow suffocating death because if their ship dies, then I'm sure whatever system is keeping their, you know, oxygen going is probably going to die as well. Right. So like the best thing they could hope for in that situation would be to suffocate before the ship eventually, you know, enters the planet's atmosphere and crashes onto the surface. Like that's that's a lot to risk for this chick. Well, also, why didn't it's just uh, like a really weird call for Kirk? Why didn't the other two miners, you know, uphold part of the deal cuz they got their women, so they could have handed over crystals to uh Kirk and all of them. Yeah, I didn't, actually didn't consider that. Like I assume that they would all have their own stash of crystals, right? Like, why do they need specifically the ones that Ben has? Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, so Spock says that he has an infrared reading about 11 miles from the mining company, and they determine that it's likely from a stove in Ben's home. So Kirk tells Spock to have Mud meet him in the transporter room, and we go back to the planet where Eve is awake and cooking a meal on the stove for Ben. So he was right, it was a stove. And uh, Ben wakes up and complains that Eve had moved some things around. And she's like, well, you know, I ate some of your food, so I wanted to pay you back by doing some chores. Well, he's like, well, you know, I do my own cooking. And uh, then he burns his hand on his stove. So he's right. He does do his own cooking. It's just his his own hand. And does it look like she's cooking like Brussels sprouts? Yeah, they're just I don't I don't know what the hell that was. <laughs> it's like Brussels sprouts and pasta. Mmm, my favorite. Yeah, just these weird, like, green balls and little, like, tan things. I have no clue what that was. Boy, future food looks disgusting. Yeah, they, uh, they, they, uh, they, they must not have, like, a McDonald's in the future. Yeah, or at least one, maybe, I think the closest McDonald's might be on, uh, Rigel 8, possibly. They're, they're slacking. Yeah, they have to get to every planet, and they're just, just taking their sweet time. Like, a trillion served. Yeah, actually, I wonder how many people there are, like, at this point, how far has humanity expanded and, like, how much has the population grown? Because they could probably serve several trillion a day. I wouldn't mind them going back to Earth at some point just to show what the future looks like from Earth's perspective. Yeah, like, did we manage to start exploring space and leave before we completely destroyed the planet? Or was, like, the planet basically destroyed and then then we had to leave so like or you know did they leave and and save it with technology so that's i I, yeah i want to see that as well now that you mentioned that but uh ben does mention that he didn't touch eve while she was unconscious you know he's he's kind of using that as you know hey well at least i didn't do that and she makes a remark about you know how he's got this big ego while she puts the food on the table and then he makes a sarcastic remark about how He's like, oh, you know, what am I supposed to be grateful for female cooking again? Which isn't that what he wanted? Like, didn't he want a wife and like to have somebody around and to do that stuff with? But then, you know, as soon as he gets a potential wife, he's just immediately an asshole to somebody that, first of all, that he just rescued, that he didn't even have to. And then it's it's somebody that he wanted there to begin with. So like he rescued somebody he didn't have to. He wanted her there. And now he's just being a jerk. Yeah, the, the, this scene didn't make much sense in the context that, like you said, he saved her. She's doing the wifely duties that you would think would come along with them getting married, because that's what she wants, and that's what he was giving the crystals for. He's like, nah, I'm just going to be a dick now. Yeah, at first I thought maybe it was like some, you know, friendly, like flirtatious banter, but no, they're both serious. Like, they kind of hate each other. Uh, but he does take a bite of his food, and he's like, well, you know, I've, I've made better than this. And she's like, yeah, well, you know, you're tasting some of the food that you've made because I couldn't scrape three layers of grease out of the pan. And he's like, well, you know, if you could find a well with some decent water, then we can talk. And she's like, well, why didn't you just leave the pan out in the wind and let it be sandblasted clean? Or hadn't you thought about that? And (laughs) it's very clear that he had not thought about that. But it's it's a great idea. I was about to say, would that work? 
I, I mean, it would have to, right? If the wind's constantly blowing all of those sand particles, like it's, it's it would be just like weathering. But, you know, with grease, it, it, I would think that eventually it would knock pretty much all of that grease off of there. You might have to do like a small rinse and scrub. But, I mean, it sounds like he wasn't cleaning his pans at all. Uh, that sounds about right. But uh, just after this, he is shown hanging the pots and the pans on a line outside between a couple of rocks. And he like takes a step back and, and gives a little head nod like, well I'll, well, I'll be damned. Like, that was a good idea. So back inside, uh, Eve is playing a card game with some round cards. And Ben comes in and tells her, you know, hey, that pan trick might actually work. But when he looks at her, she appears to be much older than she was when he went outside. And uh, he tries to tell her how to play the card game she's trying to play. He's like, well, you know, you play in solitaire. And she says, no, it's, it's double jack. So he tells her how to do something, and she's like, well, that's not how, you know, that works. That would work in solitaire, but it doesn't work in double jack. So he gets mad, and he's like, well, not only are you as plain as an old bucket, but you're not even very good company. And he just, like, outright asks her. He's like, by the way, what happened to your face? <laughs> like, what happened to your looks? You look like crap. But, you know, she's like, well, you know, I just got tired of you, so I'm, I'm slumping. And so he gets pissed off, and he grabs her by the arms, and that's when Kirk and Mud enter the home, and Ben immediately lets her go, and he's like, well, I didn't touch her. Like, what? first of all, they didn't say anything, and second of all, like, that's a really good way to uh, make people assume that you did, although he actually didn't, so good for him. Well, he, he makes that a point a few times in the episode, I didn't touch her. Yeah, like, it's supposed to be this, uh, like, well, you know, I, I could have totally, like, you know, done something nefarious when you were unconscious, but I didn't, so, you know, that's plus to me. But really, it's like, no, that's just uh, that's what's expected. Like, that's the standard. Right. Like, hey, I'll just be a decent human being. Yeah. Like, he just he wants some recognition for not being like total garbage. Like, he's garbage. But, you know, there's he could go a little further. I mean, I, mean, I guess. OK, maybe good for him. He's like, look, I haven't seen a woman in three years. And for me to say I haven't touched her yet. It says a lot about my character. Actually, it kind of does, to be honest. Now that you mention that, I I think like the average kind of bad guy that we've come across in this series, like maybe would have gone that route. That's that's a really fair point. Like three years isn't a lot, but still. I I think so, but he's just so aggressive about it. Like I didn't touch her. Yeah. Um, So Kirk tells Ben and Mud to have a seat. And tells Mud to explain to Ben what's going on with the uh, illegal Venus drugs that he's he brought. Uh, Mud says that it's a harmless drug that just gives you more of you know whatever you've got going on, makes men more muscular and aggressive, and and makes women more feminine. So Kirk explains that Mud gave it to the women before they arrived at the miners' camp, and Ben asks if the other women look like Eve does right now, and she's like, "Well, yeah, probably." So he asks, uh, you know, what happened to the other miners after he left? And Kirk says that they went to their quarters during the storm and that they got married over a subspace radio. Ben gets really pissed off and reaches across the table to attack Mud, but uh, Kirk stops him and says, you know, hey, their marriage is a fraud. They can, they're going to be able to get out of that, no problem. Which, you know, Kirk knows a lot about the law all of a sudden. Well, you have to when you're a captain. Yeah, he's kind of a lawyer, judge, cop in this episode. But, uh... Ben starts to complain about how they went to the planet and risked their lives to carve out, you know, a good life for themselves being miners and that, you know, Mud brought these women who were supposed to be, you know, the their wives and and Eve just interrupts him and says that, you know, you don't really want a wife what you want was, you know, what the Venus pill provided, but you can't have that because it's not real. And then she pulls one out of a container and takes it, which is a, a really weird way to get her point across by doing the thing that she said that, like, you know, giving him the thing that she said he can't have. Right. Everybody watches as she changes back into, like, the pilled version of herself. And uh, she asks Ben, you know, she's like, hey, is this what you want? You know, you don't want somebody to help you cook and sew and, you know, just somebody that needs you. But you just want a selfish and vain and, and useless wife. And Ben's like, well, yeah, but, you know, that's it's fake and you're all pumped up by a drug. And then Kirk is like, well, you know, she didn't actually take a drug. It was just a colored gelatin. And Mud says that, you know, they took the uh, Venus drug away and substituted the uh, colored uh, gelatin for it. And, you know, Eve has that kind of moment of disbelief. Like, you know, you know, that can't be true. And Kirk's like, well, there's only, you know, one kind of woman. And you either believe in yourself or you don't. And so he tells Ben that he's like, hey, I'll take those lithium crystals 
and uh, asks if he's going to need to beam down a search party to get them. And Ben's like, no, you know, you can you can have them. They're around here somewhere. So Kirk calls Spock to get ready to have uh, him and the tr- crystals transported back up. Uh, ben says that, you know, hey, I, I want Eve to stay for the day so we can talk. And she's like, yeah, I can do that. And so on their way out, uh, Mud tries to convince Kirk to leave him on the planet by accident, you know, as sort of a punishment for what he's done. You know, he's just kind of joking about it. Like, oh, you know, hey, everything worked out all right. Maybe I can get out of this too. And Kirk is like, no, I can't do that. But if you want, I can be a character witness at your trial if you think that's going to help. And Mud's like, well, you know, in that case, they would just, you know, lock me up and throw away the key. And then they go outside. Uh, which I don't, why did they have to step outside to be transported? They had no issue transporting through you know, rooms and stuff before. You know, I was wondering that when they first came down to the planet, why they weren't teleported into the building. Yeah, they're like, hey, you know, potentially a hostile environment. Let's uh, just beam outside. And what do you, how do you think the other two guys reacted when uh, their women's looks started to go in the middle of the night? Uh-huh. You know, I imagine that, like, you know, they probably partied it up all night and then they woke up in the morning and they were like, Jesus Christ, how much did I drink last night? Like, they've just been <laughs> been drinking that, you know, Rigel Ale or whatever and just got loaded. And they're like, man, you, you were a lot prettier when I was drunk. Like, oh, man, what happened to you? And they never do what, like, they never do say what happened uh, with those guys if they did end up getting, like, cause, like, maybe they started talking to their wives and they're like, yeah, you know, you're, you're fine. I'm fine with this. But uh, back on the Enterprise, McCoy kind of jokingly asked Kirk if he's ever thought about going into patient or patent medicine business. And Kirk is like, oh, you know, I wouldn't want to, you know, work on your side of the street or whatever. And so Spock comments that he's happy that the whole thing is over and that it was an annoying emotional episode. And I 100% agree with what he's saying there. So Bones jokes, you know, it was a, a smack in the old heart and he hits his chest, you know, where his heart would be. And then he's like, oh, you know, sorry, Spock, I guess, uh, you know, your heart would actually be here. And he hits the like side of his rib cage under his arm, which I feel like is a like evolutionarily, it's a terrible place for a heart to be. Right. I was going to say, you know, Spock makes the point of saying that, Hey, I'm glad my biology is different from yours. And that seems to be like an ongoing joke that he has throughout the show. Yeah. He and so uh, McCoy seem to have that, that joking relationship, you know, where, Bones kind of picks on him for being different, and he's just kind of like, yeah, well, you know, at least I'm not you, so I'm fine with that. He's like, I'm glad I'm not one of you filthy humans, like, in a in a nice way. Yeah. Uh, but that's where the episode ends. They just leave the orbit of the planet and continue on their journey to nowhere specific. And, uh, boy, that is uh, for sure my least favorite episode that we've seen so far. Like, that was a, a lot of... Just nothing, I guess. Like the, the episode felt like it lacked a lot of substance. And a lot of the things that the characters said were opposite of the things that they did. Or sometimes they would say something and then just kind of immediately contradict themselves. And like you had pointed out, uh, Kirk was like kind of needlessly aggressive in this episode. Uh, somewhat incompetent. And Spock was just kind of nowhere. Like this is the perfect situation for him. And he does absolutely nothing. And the whole thing just kind of resolved itself in like a, you know, everybody got their happy ending kind of episode. And this is, like I said, definitely just not my favorite one so far. I actually didn't mind the episode. Uh, I agree with a lot of your points. I did like the, I did like Mud. I like the shadiness of his character. Like he wasn't a flat out bad guy, but... It, yeah, it seemed kind of like a pointless episode almost because they never explained what this lore about the women were. They just came, kind of came up with some BS power at the end, like, oh, because you believe in yourself, you're now good looking. Yeah. Like, how does that work? Yeah. That like, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Like, your confidence, if you believe in yourself, you appear better looking, but you actually don't physically change how you look. Yeah, that was like one of those uh, super cringy, like, you know, moral of the story teaching moment kind of, you know, like. Which I I don't have an issue with the moral point of the story because I'm like, oh, that's a very good thing to say. It's just your physical looks wouldn't change just by believing you're better looking. You just have the confidence of 
seeing yourself better looking. Yeah. I, I just think that like the way that they outright said it, like, no, we, we got it. Like we knew what was going on. You know, you don't have to explain it to us. You know, it'd be funny if it really was the Venus drug and Kirk's just like, I'm just going to give her confidence and tell her, you know, it's, you know, uh, uh, what, what, uh, placebo effect. Yeah. Like, uh, Mud actually, after they switched out the pills, he actually re switched them. So she did get the real one. I mean, M- Mud is a, he, he the, I think he's the clever guy where he could pull something like that off. Yeah, he's a slippery dude. I mean, hell, he, he got a communicator somehow and called the planet before Kirk did, really. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's actually one of the things that, um, I thought was weird was that for a show that, doesn't hide anything and they show you absolutely everything they did not show how they got the communicator and it's safe to assume that you know one of the women used their charms on a guy and you know maybe took it or got him to give it up but it's weird that they didn't show that of all things right which i i think you know what you just said is probably the most likely thing that happened on how they got the communicator yeah um yeah that's just like i said not my my favorite episode uh yeah, do you have anything else? No, not really. Uh, like I said, uh, I saw it was an all right episode. Uh, didn't hate it, didn't love it. Um, thought the bad guy was a decent bad guy, I guess. Like, he wasn't really a bad guy, but... Yeah, he's more comedic relief. Uh, kind of like bumbling, not idiot, but, you know, like you said, he he's not like a bad guy. I mean, I guess legally he is, but... Yeah, he didn't do anything like super nefarious, I guess. No, he he wasn't. It, it wasn't like he was illegally transporting women against their will. Right. Yeah, that could have been uh, a much different episode if that's what was going on. Probably, probably a lot darker storyline for the '60s. Yeah. Yep, that's true. But uh, yeah. So the next episode that we're gonna watch is gonna be season one, episode seven, called "What Are Little Girls Made Of," and. Uh, Boy, for somebody that doesn't read the uh, descriptions of the episodes, this one's got me real curious. Um, Yeah, that doesn't sound good. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways that this one could go. Uh, But if anybody has any questions, comments, uh, just want to, you know, talk Star Trek, you can catch us on Twitter at WWST underscore podcast. You can email us at WWSTpod at gmail.com. We are on... Basically anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, including YouTube. So, you know, if you're listening, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, something like that, and you'd like to switch platforms, we are pretty much everywhere. Uh, But that's going to do it for me. Uh, I do want to say thank you to anybody that, uh, you know, is joining us through this. We, you know, kind of doing it for fun. So really anybody that tags along with us is a a bonus. And that's going to be it for me. Sayonara, guys.